no chance. What's up, everybody? Episode 79 of No Chance Radio Show. As always, your host, Ryan. And Nate. It's a very special, special episode today. This evening, this fine Wednesday evening, Wednesday am I correct? Evening, yes. We got a lot of special guests in the building. We have our man. What do we? What do we even call you now? What's your official title? Say what's First up to the people. First lady of no chance. First lady of no chance. What's up, Mel, aka Hello. Melanie? Um, she was. She blessed us with a, a feature on the last episode, which I thought was a, was pretty fucking amazing. Even though we're all terrible, terrible with money, we happen to talk about financials, which actually ended up being a really good episode. Yeah, in yeah, my that opinion, was definitely a gem. This yeah. one is a very special one because alongside our event this Friday, which I'm going to plug this real quick, is the payout for anybody based out of the Bay Area, San Francisco specifically. We're going to have a lot of good ass music. It's always a good ass time, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, some of my my, my favorite party memories, and uh, I've been in my mid 20s for a couple years now okay so. you're pushing late no don't say that don't say that actually we're not going to get into that today but we have a very special guest and one of the djs for our event this friday which is the day that you were listening to this episode we have kirsten on the show aka kirst Hello. say what's up to the people what's up y'all <laughs> all right so um the way we usually start this show is we get into the some uh, uh, a few hot takes um, a couple of random off-topic topics that we just kind of cover fairly briefly because, to be honest, knowing us, we can get into a fucking long-ass conversation diatrod. It's like a, those it's things. like when you're on Wikipedia and you're just like clicking on link after link. It can get, get deep. That hole. It can get yeah. deep. The sure. endless loop. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But first, the way that we treat any special guest that comes onto our show, we'd like to ask them one particular question. Are you okay with that, Kirsten? Okay, <laughs> so anybody that we have on this show, we like to know a little bit of, of a backstory of, you know, their first experiences with anything within the world of streetwear, fashion, streetwear, anything that's affected them in any way. Their first remembrance of anything cool, I guess, right? Yeah. What do you remember as being like your first memory of fashion or streetwear as a young person young For lad sure. um a young lad a young lad <laughs> <laughs> um i think first memories of fashion and streetwear is one going through my brother's closet i have an older brother so going through his closet seeing all the cool shirts he copped stealing them <laughs> um getting them stolen from me so that he could take them back I guess it's similar with, like, all of the guys that I've dated and, like, my boyfriend now. So kind of stealing all the cool stuff that they copped so that I can wear it in my wardrobe. Um, I feel like mainly with my brother is when is my first, like, memory of fashion streetwear. What is it about that that sort of attracted you to, like, saying, damn, I feel like I can wear that? Or, like, there's something about that that makes me want to wear that. One, it's comfy. Um, shopping in the men's section is better, I feel like, because when their clothes are comfier and they're not as, like, tight and form-fitting. Um, so that, another was probably to get on my brother's nerves because he would never let me hang out <laughs> with him. Just being the annoying little sister. Yeah, yeah <laughs> essentially, yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, like, when you get into dating, it's kind of like when they give you your sweater when you're cold. So 
kind of like sweet stuff like that. Do you think like things like that like entice you to be like, oh, like I love this graphic. Like who makes this or what brand is this? Do you think that kind of like was the first impression of you sort of delving into that world of like brands and like fashion and shit? Yeah, for sure. Because you want to know what exactly you're wearing or who exactly you're wearing. So I think that's when um, I started to kind of research a little bit more on like Supreme, um, you know, brands with all those logos. What exactly is Stussy? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, So let's get into the piece that why we got you on for this Friday, which is DJing. I feel like... um, a lot of people, we've had you on a, a couple events and you've been fucking taking over the city in like a very, like like a wildfire. It's just been sort of spreading in a very short amount of time. Um, Thank you. Sort of, where did you start with like DJing and stuff since, you know, that's sort of your, your, your backstory? Yeah, for sure. Um, I never really thought that I would get into music this way. Um, I I guess like my background with music is I used to play the piano. Um, I was classically trained. Um, my best friend throughout college, his name is Royce. Um, he DJed, DJ Deborah. Yes. Um, and then when I got back from um, studying abroad in London, I had an internship with Live Nation. Um, and I think that's when I really started to love music. And that's when I realized it was an industry I could see myself working in. Um, came back to SF for school. Um, Royce and I started dating. Um, people at Live Nation were like, you know, like there's not a lot of girls in this industry, like DJing, producing, you should think about getting into it. Um, so that's when I hit Royce up and I was like, hey, do you want to teach me? So, um, and that's kind of where it started. Yeah. That's That's where it all That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've had you on a couple of our events. If, for the for those of you that are listening that have been following our sort of journey as we've been throwing these payout events and and on air, you've seen the names that have been attached to those bills, and it's pretty consistent with who we fuck with and who are doing amazing things. And I would say, like, so far, like the people that have been doing amazing things for us have gone on to do amazing things for other people as well. And um, it's pretty fucking awesome just yeah, to see like the trans sure. transformation of the talent that we bring on to to our shows when it's really just the homies you know what i mean um our first impression is never to be like oh like you're popping like come to our thing it's like no it's like no we we like what you're doing we believe in what you're doing so you know i feel like other people will believe in that too so thank you for being on the show with us today and we look forward to having you on for our event on friday the payout for those that you're listening please go rsvp because it's kind of low right now Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> link in bio. Um, but let's get into some streetwear topics because that's what you are here uh, today with us to discuss. And we got a f- large ass panel with a lot of fucking people on it, so it's gonna get pretty wild in here. And I'm really, really excited to have everyone on here. Um, but let's get into the first topic. So, our first topic today is Noah NYC, probably one of my personal favorite brands at the moment, just in regards to. Um, their combination of providing very not only functional but like a good middle ground of like streetwear and like higher fashion shit and quality shit. Yeah, for um, sure. Noah NYC put out a release recently in saying that they are not a sustainable company. Um, they fall under the guise of being one of those sustainable companies that does put out 
release uh, press releases that revolve around that of you know community giving and anything along the lines of giving back to certain organizations that are currently suffering from some sort of socioeconomical you know distraught whatever that is um, but they put out a release that basically said we are not a sustainable company a lot of our a lot of publications and media groups would group them as a sustainable company they thought that no NYC was basically gathering all of their blanks and everything that all their resources in regards to where they produce all their clothing as being sustainable, 100% sustainable, which is almost like fucking impossible, impossible. I would feel like. Um, but they put out a release basically stating that they are not a sustainable company, even though they do their best to hit that benchmark of being that. But how do you guys feel just in general of um, the sort of reactions of NOAA NYC putting out that statement? It's a very bold statement to say, but I think it... It's a very honest statement. How do you guys feel about it? Uh, I think that it's, like you said, it's a very bold statement, but I think that the message that that they're trying to get across is that there's a lot of work to be done in terms of, like, companies being more sustainable, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think, like you said, it's almost impossible to be 100% sustainable, Um, but I think, like you said, Noah does do a good job of doing their best to kind of adhere to that. Uh, I don't know. I just think that it's, especially in the clothing industry, you know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into making a collection or a piece of clothing. And I think that even for like a small company like Noah, even though they're known like worldwide globally, it's, it's still like a difficult task to do that. So, yeah, I always thought of them as being like, I mean, I, I guess the sentiment around that brand was always like, Yo, Noah does like amazing things. They give back to the community um, and they're also sustainable. So I, I almost knew them right off the bat as being like, oh, they're sustainable. They they really source their clothing from a, a great place and they have great intentions all across the board. But for them to put out the, the, the release, I'm just like, that's cool. Like, even if they're not 100% sustainable, but they have aspirations to be that, it doesn't take away from me liking the brand because at the end of the day, like... 100% of the brands that we'd like aren't 100% sustainable. But it's nice to see that sort of transparency from a streetwear brand when they don't have to do that. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. But and in I, this climate, they feel like they do, which yeah. is like they have a good conscience and I feel like being in that space alone is it's it's good to know when you're when you buy products from this company. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Um I think that they're doing a lot of things that other streetwear brands aren't necessarily doing. Like they did, they did this, um, like shit to like save, they did this like whole capsule collection, to like save the oceans for like dolphins yeah. or something like that. Like other brands aren't doing shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I believe that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mel. Yeah. I definitely applaud them for being bold like that. Not everyone's going to come out and be like, Oh, like we're not sustainable, but at least we're doing what we can. You know, it's just, it's nice as a consumer to know, like, we can still trust these brands. Like, even though they're not being 100% sustainable, they're still doing their part. Like, they're trying to always improve and, like, let us know as consumers, like, hey, like, we're not the best, but at least we're telling you what we're doing right now. So we're being honest with you guys. That's all we want as a brand, honestly. Like, do you want to hear about, like, a company 
getting backlash from like having a sweatshop or do you want to hear them say, hey, we're not that super sustainable, but we're doing what we can. Now, I don't think a brand's going to admit that they have an actual sweatshop where they make their clothes. But I like the transparency from brand, even if it's from the slight bit. Kirsten, do you got something? Yeah, I was going to agree. I think transparency is what a lot of people look for in brands nowadays, especially because you kind of align your brand's mission with the clothes that you wear. You know, like you're not going to represent something that's doing whack things. So I appreciate the transparency. It seems like, like Mel said, they're doing what they can. And it sounds like they're trying to take the steps to get there. They're just not exactly there yet. And that's all you really can do at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Um, To what extent do you overextend yourself to do something just for the people that follow you? You know what I mean? Is it organic to who you are as a brand or is it just trying to please that of those who are essentially the ones paying you. Um, On to the next one. I don't want to spend too much time on that one. (laughs) But on to the next one. Um, Billionaire Girls Club. Uh, Run through the entity of Billionaire Boys Club. Billionaire Girls Club is a one of the first edition panels of having women in streetwear, women in the fashion industry, essentially run a, I think it was a, a live Instagram a video or feed of a panel run by the names of, I think it was like um, Vashti. Um, I think it was led by Miss Info. She's a prominent name within the New York uh, media industry. And essentially talking about uh, women's sort of place in streetwear. Uh, We all know that, I mean, we've had conversations before, Nate, about, you know, um, women in streetwear just revolving around this idea of pink, and specifically for women collections, Jordans, etc. Based off of this sort of transition into women who are sort of taking the stand and saying like, yo, this is what we want. You guys should be making this type of shit. What's the sort of first reactions in regards to like what they're doing as, um, as a group? Uh, I mean, like we talked about before, we've covered this a lot, like so many different times, but I think... Um, inclusivity like we talked about before is just like it's very key you know whether it's and it's we talked about like you said women wanting stuff that's maybe not as specific to them yeah but also you know there's that camp out there that does like women specific of course yeah. yeah so i think in order to create a more inclusive like streetwear environment you kind of have to play both of those sides like play both sides of that streetwear point. publications don't tend to capture that of the woman who wears the women in spot like the women's streetwear collection yeah you know what i mean it's always the christina packs the vashtis who wear things that are designed for men but styled by them in a way that looks as if it's for women um and there, it's always very polarizing when we get to this topic because it's either th- these publications cover the models or the streetwear tomboys, right? There's no middle ground or, or blurring of the two sectors to where it's like, okay, like women can wear whatever they want. They're treated just the same as men. But I don't feel like publications at this point really highlight that aspect of it. I don't think so. I think, um, like you said, women in streetwear, it's very black and white if you will it's very like you said either the quote-unquote tomboyish you know dressing like women or it's the you know like the models like the super quote-unquote it's crazy that um like people like christina pack who's very outspoken yeah will like 
like knock down brands for being like, yo, why the fuck are you putting out like this consistently pink shoe when it comes to this style when all we want is just the men's silhouettes brought down to like a fucking four. Like it's not that difficult to to make a shoe unisex. Like how difficult is that when it comes to making a shoe? But and and this is a conversation that we're gonna get it gonna get into next, and 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 Melanie's gonna bring it, bring up this article. It's just about general releases, like releases in general. You know what I mean? Like, what's the sort of temperature gauge on on releases in regards to why the fuck aren't brands making that that sort of um, that understanding that everybody wants to shoe, mm-hmm. kids, women. And men want that fire ass shoe. How do you guys feel about just what the uh, Billionaire Girls Club in general is doing? People on the panel speaking out to essentially women in streetwear as ladies. How do you feel about that personally? I personally celebrate it. I feel like you don't have these conversations a lot with women in streetwear, especially in the industry. Like it's hard just to get into the industry alone. So just hearing how all these women kind of conquered like going against their parents, going against like the common job just to get where they were, it's really nice to see. And it's nice to celebrate and also tell like other girls like, hey, if you like what you like, get into it. You know, like, you know, as a woman, like, I'm very into streetwear. I'm very on the tomboy side. You know, I get men's extra smalls or smalls, and I make Mm -hmm. it my own. I hate the color pink. So, you know, I love that there are more conversations, like, about women in streetwear because you don't hear that. And in the article, they do talk about a lot of, like, women in these jobs. Like, they're more behind the scenes. Like, they're the ones who are doing the editorials. They're taking all the photos. They're doing the videography. It's a fact, yeah. You don't ever, like, hear these women get praise. You only see like the models or influencers like talk on panels but like where are the rest of the women in the industry like we need more transparency we need more conversations like this to keep building not even just in new york even like in la and sf just because you know like streetwear is everywhere and i feel like it needs to be more inclusive like we like me as a woman like i feel like when i go into a shop i'm still super uncomfortable i feel like men don't think i know what i'm talking about unless i'm with another guy who's like wearing some fire ass kicks that's true i'm actually going to speak on this real quick because and this is not a shot to the to the store that my girlfriend went to but um a shop had posted a shirt that i really 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 wanted um, it was a grail item. It was the Diamond Supply and Iron Maiden collaboration that was canceled, blah, blah, blah. I can get into details. But essentially, she went in there when they opened at 12 o'clock and said, hey, I'm looking for this shirt. Can I buy it? And they said, oh, how do you know about this shirt? Like, is this for you? Are you wearing it? Or is, is it for somebody else? And she said, oh, it's for my boyfriend. And she, and she goes on to say something that I educated her on and saying that, you know, this shirt came out in 2006. It got a cease and desist and was only friends and family for the longest time. and was never really released to the public on a large scale. And she said that and he was just like, oh, cool. Yeah. Essentially saying that if any of us, me and Nate specifically, were to bring that same concept up, it would start to spark a conversation. But to see somebody who know a female knowing more than a male counterpart, especially about streetwear, it's intimidating as fuck for people. And that is a prime case of that. So shout out to you, baby, for getting that shirt from me. <laughs> <laughs> but Kirsten, how do you feel just about, you know, this women women's empowerment in regards to Billionaire Girls Club? It's a big moment in regards to, you know, what they're doing. There's a lot of great people on that. What are your first impressions of that? Yeah. Well, first response to what you said, 
um, I don't remember if it was in this article or another article I read, but um, women, it was about women in streetwear, and they were saying how they're often looked at as a female first and a professional second. So things like that just irritate me. Agreed. Um, anyways, um, women in streetwear. I think it's really important, like Mel said, to have these panels because it's not common that you see it. Um, I think we've come a long way with celebrating women in streetwear because my most initial experience and memory with streetwear is of just like hypersexualized models, like women in the guys' t-shirts and only the guys' t-shirts. And now you see like influencers, um, still models, but also like part of the community. So, um, like you said, behind the scenes and also in front of the scenes. Um, and I think it's important that we bring that to light. Yes. Hell's Bells and Married to the Mob were shunned when they first came out in regards to they don't even matter compared to the Crooks and Cras- Crooks and Castles, Diamond Supply, Supreme. Like they were like lower tier brands, yet they were doing better shit than all those brands at the time. So I agree. Um just the sort of uh, the polarizing topic of having women in streetwear and people not yet understanding that, um, I guess, I mean, I know that that's something that's going to, you know, take over um, the industry in a very short amount of time. Shit. People like Christina packing like Vash, you'd be dressing better than guys anyway. Um, like on the yeah. real. Yeah. Like, shit, I'd be getting my fucking style inspiration from <laughs> girls too. Like, I don't see any problem with that. Um, all right, let's get on to the next topic. Mel, this was an article that you had researched that was very inclined with that of the sneaker industry, very inclined with where sneaker culture is going today. I totally botched what the article was t- was titled. Do you have <laughs> do you yeah. have that for me? So the article is titled "The Future of Sneaker Releases Is Local Drops," and basically it talks about how like just the I guess the current state of reselling and like buying and selling shoes right now like it's very oversaturated so of course like brands want to make sure like more of their releases are like limited just so they can kind of test the market on certain items so this article talked about like two different points like how Yeezy is doing a lot of more like regional drops so you know Asia is getting like a certain colorway same with Europe same with the US kind of just to see like okay how will these do and like how our our consumers are going to react to it and also the second point is how like Nike SB is doing the whole orange label series only selling to sneaker like skateboard shops only um so i guess if you want to get into like your takes on yeah these. i'd say we're fairly blessed in the bay area to have shops that are one of a kind mm-hmm. um i know most cities will have that one very particular boutique shop that all of the celebrities and everybody in that city know and will die by I know that Chicago has RSVP, Los Angeles has things like Union and Bodega, well, Bodega now, Boston had Bodega previously, well, they still do, but we have things like Dark Side Initiative, we have Bows and Arrows, we have, I mean, we have an Undefeated here, like, we have stores that will get the rare shit, but I still feel like we're very, like, spoiled in a sense, because... I mean, to be honest, like we don't go out and go buy them. But I think having those stores and having big brands, especially like Adidas and Nike and even um, streetwear brands, do one-off um, collaborations or one-off collections with those stores is, I think that is the future, you know, at least for the hyper-local market is to entice that of people like myself, like 
like like you, Nate, and to to go out and buy those shoes and to communicate that to others and being like, yo, like y'all gonna move to the Bay Area because y'all are slipping, like y'all missing out on all this product, you know. And I feel like that was a case for for a good amount of time. Like we were getting some good stuff, but um, also shout out to Stash, like. Stash is one of the, yeah. the best stores in San Francisco at the moment. Very slept on, but in the in the same concept of of sneaker releases, that concept of of rarity locally has been a thing that's been established early on in the sneaker um, sneakerhead industry of of tier zero and limited accounts of of releasing shoes that may or may not have worked. And I still think that that's still the concept or the mindset of these brands. In this present moment of knowing, like, uh, like we know Nike SBs are kind of killing it right now, but if we make like ten thousand pairs of these bitches, like, I don't know if they're gonna sell, you yeah. know. And they haven't, to be honest, even with the Travis Scott wave and all that other shit. Like, Nike SBs are still sitting on shelves. Yeah, and that's just my personal opinion on how I see like that sort of transgressing. Yeah, I think that, you know, if we look back to just sort of the beginning, kind of the roots of streetwear you know, like rarity and scarcity are like the things that propelled it and kind of yeah. like fueled the progression of a lot of brands. Because that's, if you think about it, that's kind of like the base model of streetwear is, you know, a lot of the times it's like, I'm, I'm the only one who can get the, my hands on it and you can't mm. for, for better or for worse, you know? Um, and I think that it's a very like tactical move on the part of these bigger brands like Nike, Adidas, whoever, because like we said, or like Mel mentioned earlier, a lot of things or the market for streetwear in general, sneakers in general is pretty over. It's oversaturated it for sure. Agreed. So this kind of brings it back down to a level, maybe a level that it was at maybe five, 10 years ago where it's like you said, like tier zero, like before back in the day in the Bay area, like how many sneaker stores were there here in Yo, okay, all right. Let's get into this because you you mentioned how it's sort of like bringing it. It's 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 um sort of it's like dialing hitting, it back, hitting the rewind. Yeah, button, exactly, right? exactly. But it doesn't work today. Yeah, because accessibility to information and social media makes it aware to everybody that exists. So if a shoe is only released at a store, it's when does that shit go online? How do I place a phone order? Do I have to physically be in that city to buy that shoe? So it's almost as if like there's a new element to why the hyper-local thing also doubles in, in its efforts of working. So in the same way that Nate mentioned it, it's also like people from other states can still buy the shit too. I know I can buy stuff from LA that's limited exclusive to places like Union that I could just check online the next day and see if it's still available. So it is one of those things where it's like their intention is to keep it local, but Shit, we have access to literally all types of outlets to buy that stuff. Oh, no, I for sure, for sure, 100% agree. Because, I mean, even if you look back in the early 2000s, of course, like the internet, shit like that wasn't as big. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it obviously wasn't as, you know, on huge of a scale as it is now, but you still, if you lived in New York and you wanted shit from the Bay, you were still still able to get it, you know? It's just on a whole different scale now. I you guess know. it's just how they do it, yeah. right? Because me and Melanie were talking about it. Bows and Arrows, our local um, boutique store out in Berkeley, is actually having a very particular Nike Air, Air Max Days 
approaching. I think it's on three uh, March 26th, yeah. right? Yeah. It's approaching. So they decided to do a concept store within Bows and Arrows. And it's very particular just for that store. I'm sure there's other stores that are doing something along the lines of it, as they all do for Air Max Day. But this is very particular for, for Bows and Arrows. And that's special to us. That makes us feel as if us living in the Bay Area and, well, Bows and Arrows is a really amazing account for them. But knowing that that is a thing makes us feel good as not only a city, but as a you know a consumer within the city. Um, so I think the locality of sneaker releases actually plays into the benefit of brands, at least in regards to uh, brand awareness. So we know that the brands are here. They know that they're present. They know that they care about what we want. Um, I think, what was it, like two years ago, Nike for the... Was it the NBA Finals did a, a sneakers box oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. here in San Francisco? That, I mean, that the hyper-locality of that makes us feel special. And I think as consumers, we just want to know that our, the brand is hearing what we want. We want all the cool shit that New York and LA gets. And if we don't, we're probably going to not buy from the brand in general. I don't know, Mel, how do you feel about it? You're, you sort of like were able to skim through the, the topic a little bit more. You are a, um, not a confirmed reseller, but a reseller. So uh, you tell us about how that experience is for yourself. Um, I just think it's interesting how brands want to go back to hyper-locality when, you know, back in the day, that's how it started. You know, like back in the day, like you would have to camp out for a shoe like a day or two in advance. You, you camped out forms. recently. Yeah, okay, whatever. For what? Wait for what she was Wait for what? You still camp out? I mean, oh, no. <laughs> I'm on sneakers. Yeah, it's 2019. <laughs> put a pin real quick yeah i camped out i camped out for those patent leather unc ones and i don't regret it because those are fire that was a good flip yeah it w- okay i got two one to rock and one to flip so right. whatever that's Shut how up. you do it yeah. anyway yeah like i just think it's interesting how like brands want to go back to that you know they want to go back to testing the market to see like okay like will this shoe actually do really well can we sell in this one market and will the prices increase in the future? You know, it's just it's just crazy, like, to think about, like, just the history of streetwear when you talk to, like, your friends and just to kind of see, like, how accessible it is now, but still to see, like, how rare it is to cop something that's only available, like, in North America or Europe or Asia, you know? Like, those things are still super limited, even though there's, like, thousands of people who live on that country. So... I don't know. It just adds another layer to streetwear and to like buying and Millions reselling. And it's just interesting to see like how, you know, streetwear is going back to its roots and also like moving forward as a whole. So it's like you're getting like past and present. I agree. Future. No, yeah, the past and present piece is very prominent. It's essentially going back, grabbing that luggage and moving forward and yeah. going into the future. So I totally agree with that. And I like where it's going. I agree with the with the article and, and knowing that local releases are essentially going to push the the energy of of how we feel about shopping and being uh, uh, consumers kirsten what do you think um i it's very interesting to me i don't have like personal first-hand experience with it i think it kind of i think it kind of lies within this realm of like being a consumer and shopping at your local stores i mean i'm not gonna lie i'm a <laughs> a purveyor of shopping online. As much as I want to support my local business, it's expensive as shit. Like, yeah. and also they don't ever have anything. 
Um, the people are nice to talk to. The community is nice. But if I want a cheaper price, then I'm going to go online, which is also a debate as well. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm... <laughs> and this kind of sucks because we all worked at Nike, but to buy something full price from Nike at a boutique store when we know we can get it for... 40% off from uh, a regular Nike store is also a deterrent when it comes to shopping the Nike brand. So there's a lot of different elements that play into knowing that hyperlocality does also predicate on what the consumer is thinking in that moment. Is the consumer actually going to go out and wait for that shoe? Is the consumer used to shopping on sneakers on their phone? Are they used to buying it from a resale site and not having to put any effort in at all and just paying maybe 60, 50 bucks more? I mean, to be realistic, let's use this as an example. Orange label Nike SB stuff being released at specific Nike SB uh, retailers, right? Nike SB Diamond SB Dunks, right? Um, the uh, re-release, it was like um, essentially black Tiffany, white Tiffany, um, they drop for what's the retail? One sixty? Like no, not like one twenty. One twenty? Yeah. What's the resale price? Right now they're probably going for I'd say like one fifty. Am I gonna put or you give me your your opinion? Am I gonna put in the extra added effort to know that? And this is predicated on knowing that Nike SBs don't resell for that much. Am I going to go out of my way to go to that shop that's p- potentially fifteen twenty? maybe an hour away from me to go get those shoes when I know I could just buy them online the next day for 30 bucks more. I mean, how do you feel about that? This is, that's the sort of sentiment of like me personally as a shopper and, and buying stuff online nowadays. You know, what's the funny, you know what the funny thing is about that is that when I see Tiffany dunks going for one fifty, it almost makes me not want them anymore. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And like you talked about earlier with alternatives, I think that in, 2019 i don't know if hyper locality works because at least for me if i don't get my hands on a product whether it's hyper local whether it's released globally then i'm i don't necessarily care for it anymore you know because i know there's going to be something else that may be better or maybe just like it around the corner you know what's funny is like i agree with you like 110 percent, but for me it's like if it's not sold in LA or New York or even Japan, I don't want it. <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm like that, but for some reason, if I know it's exclusive to somewhere that's outside of my region, it makes me feel better about having it, knowing that the people around me or the people that I will come across would never have it. That's true. That's a very, like, streetwear way of thinking. Cause, like, but it's also, like, a terrible way. Yeah, of it is. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Of, like, 100%. 100%. And shit. 100%. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just in terms of that concept... There's a lot of shit that's been going on in the world of sneakers and mainstream fashion. Obviously, with resale, the resale market, anybody and anybody has access to whatever fucking release that ever comes out. Shit, if you have money, you could buy any shoe without having to camp out ever, without have, ever having to go through the qualms of taking L's on the sneakers app or having your fucking browser shut down because there's just too much fucking bandwidth going on. So let's talk about this next topic, which is one of the main focuses for today's episode and one of the most polarizing topics that have come up fairly recently. Jeff Staple, we all know him to be the man of the pigeon dunk, the man of the hype East radio business of hype episodes. He recently came across a very particular crossover of mainstream fashion and streetwear and seeing that American Eagle Outfitters 
actually was displaying that of, I don't know, everything from off-white Air, Air Jordan 1s to fucking every collaboration you could potentially think of, anything hyped up, even his own personal pigeon SB dunk. Um, it brings up the question of why the fuck is this in American Eagle Outfitters? We all know American Eagle Outfitters as being the mall store, right? That's the yeah. first impression that I feel like a lot of us have, being the second largest retailer for denim in the world. Um, Wait, is that a fact? That is a fact. Wow, that's crazy. To be honest, has anybody ever owned a pair of American Eagle Outfitters jeans? Nah. Um, no. no. Definitely <laughs> not. But also, one of the things to keep in mind is that American Eagle Outfitters is not only located in San Francisco and New York, but also throughout the entire country. So I'm assuming the entire Midwest is rocking them bitches hella hard. <laughs> yeah, this, wait, does Hollister still exist? Hollister Isn't that under the same exist. company? Yeah. American Eagles and Hollister oh, shit, was like the biggest and brands. Abercrombie. And Abercrombie yeah. were the biggest brands in like tw- 2008, 2000 to 2010. That's very yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what the it fuck was like. It. it was like... Hollister American Eagle hoodies and like True Religion jeans. Amazing! Like, can you <laughs> imagine? Like, like that's what was cool. But about you had it. to like cut the slits on the side of your yeah. jeans. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But being American Eagle Outfitters, knowing that they're a jean company, being this you know the top three in the country, the first inclination is to say, how can I get more business? Right, knowing that the industry nowadays is very streetwear inclined. How do I attract streetwear hype beasts? You know what I mean? What do I do to get those types of people? Obviously, the brand itself, American Eagles, isn't shit to us because obviously us being all hype beasts at one point have never owned any of their merchandise. But how do you attract them? And what they did is they decided to partner with, what? what's the name of the company? Urban Necessities. Urban Necessities, based out of Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Vegas yeah. yeah. Um, had a pop-up in New York. I don't know how that makes sense. But American Eagles, American Eagle Outfitters actually invested in Urban Necessities and had them as a pop-up in their Soho store, being their one of their main flagship stores, and displayed, I don't know how many shoes, but it looked like a fucking entire wall of the most hype shoes out to date, um, and used that as bait for local hype beasts to come into their store and potentially make that link between mainstream fashion and streetwear. What are your first impressions? I know Jeff Sable's first impressions. It was like, what the fuck is this? But what are your guys' first impressions on sort of seeing what I feel is more of a culture vulture um, take on what's going on? But that's just me. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. We had like a kind of a heated debate earlier before the podcast recorded, but I just feel like it's kind of ridiculous to me just because, like, American Eagle's fucking random. Very you know? random. Like, when I think of jeans, I think of Levi's. <coughs> I don't think of American Eagle first. So for them to think, like, okay, let me be bold enough to invest in a streetwear company and put them in my store for a one-year pop-up and see what it does, like, it's very interesting just because, like, it's just, it's American Eagle. That's true. Like, if it was Levi's, yeah, that would make sense. The only, ho- the only animal I'm wearing is polo on me. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, I don't know. I was really shocked when I heard about it because I thought, like, this can't be real, you know? Like, this has to be some, like, visual thing they're going to have for a week. But no, like, they actually put money into it, and it's there for a year, and they're going to see where it goes. Like, it's, it's just, like, you would never think, like, 
in I guess like in the streetwear like culture right now, like you would see like a mashup between like a really big box company store and like a small local like reseller shop like that, like get that much business. So I do want to see where it goes, but at the same time, like I'm very skeptical to see if this will even be successful in the long run. Let's talk about context for a second, because obviously American Eagle Outfitters wants to be important, right? Because it's not something that we talk about, right? Streetwear, hip-hop culture it aren't wearing American Eagle Outfitters to begin with. So to make that link within the streetwear industry, let's start with something that is very... I guess relatable to people that buy jeans, which is their their main source of profit, right? What goes with your pants? What's the first thing you think about that goes with my pants? All right, what shoes do I wear? So to link with, I mean, obviously, if I was a brand like StockX, Goat, or I don't know, like who or Flight Club, I'm not collaborating with fucking American Eagles. Like it doesn't even make sense to be, you know attached to that brand so what do they do they reach out to somebody who's on the come up potentially doing something great um the ceo mentioned that the first link to anybody that's within streetwear is somebody is somebody that's inclined with knowing that their pants go with their shoes and if we're doing that in in the denim department which is their main focus then why not collaborate with somebody that's putting out shoes that i know that people want they obviously are the rarest of the rare shoes so Let's put them on the wall and see how people attach them as well as our product as well. If I'm going to buy a pair of shoes, I'm going to make damn well sure that I got a pair of pants that match with it. And if I'm in American Eagle Outfitters, I'm going to look for a pair that fits, you know? And that just th- that's the kind of mindset that I feel like they're attaching themselves to and saying, we can be in this industry. And it's, and it's, it's, it's a little weird that we're going to have to take this route, but we're going to have to do it because being American Eagle Outfitters... Uh, I just, I don't know that there's no way to rebrand yourself. You can't start out as a malware brand and say, you know what, fuck you, let's just be whatever's cool right now. Let's just change all of our denim to fucking army fatigue cargo pants. Like, no, like you can't do that. Like that completely abolishes their entire mission statement. But I mean, that's just how I feel. How do you, what do you think, Nate? I mean, I agree. It's, it's hard when you have such a strong image and, like the public eye as yeah. being this sort of brand, it's hard to rebrand and say, okay, we're well, we're this brand now. Um, as far as the collaboration, the partnership, it's just we always talk about authenticity being the key in anything important in anything streetwear related and anything really. And to me, it just seems like American Eagle partnering with Urban Necessities. It's just it doesn't seem very authentic to me. It just to me, it screams American Eagle paying somebody to bring business into their own stores. It's like, that's let like, me consult with somebody yeah. to make us cooler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Kirsten, what do you think? You ever wear American Eagle Outfitters? Don't lie. Uh, okay. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. that phase, I had a few shirts. That's okay. okay. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> We're all about transparency here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But I, going off of what Nate said, um, streetwear is a lot about authenticity, and I feel like almost everybody can see through exactly what they're trying to do. Um, and I feel like not many people wear denim in streetwear too, which is, I would agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, um, I don't know. It's just interesting to me and I think it just shows that they really do have to try to hop on this trend and it just shows that they're 
brand isn't as timeless as it would be if it's stuck That's a good to point. their initial brand. That's a good point. Yeah, I think brands, when they over overextend themselves into a world that's not particularly for them, they're doing something to provide themselves some sort of security. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen this with countless brands to, you know, when it comes to acquisition, it's like, oh, damn, I don't know if we can survive. Fuck it. We're, we make more money. Let's just bur- purchase the new thing. You know, we see that within the tech industry. We see that within, you know, mainstream media companies. It's they're doing creative shit. Let's buy that because we need to somehow stay afloat. So even if yeah. that somehow revolves in the world of streetwear and fashion, like American Eagle may be the second most important denim company or brand in America, but to the people, it's like fucking like 100th. Like, it's not important to us at all. We'd rather buy shit from the local thrift store before we buy anything from an American Eagle. And that's no shot to them. Well, actually, it is a shot to them because I don't fuck with them. But personally, that's just how we think as people when it comes to our personal style, people within streetwear. It's Every malware brand d- does not attach to us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want conformity, especially as people who are trying to stand out and be within the high fashion streetwear industry. We don't want things that everybody else is wearing. And malware doesn't ever reflect that for us. Essentially, I mean, let me think, actually. No, actually, no. Like, no malware <laughs> brand actually gives us that same feeling of knowing that nobody else has it. And that's why, obviously, the malls have been failing. But, I mean, Wetzel Pretzels is doing amazing. But other than that, <laughs> shout like... Shout out to the pepperoni sh- <laughs> Shout out to Saboro also. They got some fire-ass food there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just in general, that's just the sort of sentiment I feel like we're all sort of inclined with to say is that any brand that overextends himself into being in an industry with or adapting or adopting, sorry, a culture that can benefit them, to us, we see as fake as shit. Yeah. And I think that's sort of consistent with just how we feel. Um, but. How do you think this pop-up is going to perform? Because it's on for a year, right? Yeah. It's a long time. Okay. Um, I'll go last. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want to go? Sure. Go ahead. You got it. Um. I think in terms of, in like, you know, commercially speaking, I think if it has the right products that people want and for the right price, whether it's, what did you say, they have like off-white pieces? Off-white, like off-white uh, rarest B-Dunks, Jordans, yeah. Adidas, human-made stuff. I think that stuff will sell, but I don't think it's sustainable long-term. Like, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it can necessarily sustain itself as a long-term partnership. Yes. Because like... Yeah. At, at the end of the day, I think, like we talked about in other episodes, the streetwear community is, again, becoming more aware and aware of what's going on. And there's like a, there's a lesser threshold for bullshit. If exactly. You you know yeah. Exactly. Like, you can only run the gimmick for so long before people are like, okay, well, all right, what's next? You know? Yeah. 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 No? I definitely agree with that just because... I think the creative director said they didn't want to compete with other brands, but one, it's the American Eagle in Soho. You have like what stadium goods, flight club, Kith, you have all these other brands that are already like based and known in, in New York. And you have 
urban necessities pop up in american eagle like besides the jeff staple instagram post i haven't seen like any other like media talk about this i haven't seen like any social media posts about hey come visit us at this pop-up like so i feel like in the long run like people are still gonna go to their local shops and they're gonna go on StockX or whatever and like go wherever they usually go and they're not gonna know about this unless it's like word of mouth or whatever so i just feel like it's not gonna do well as they want it to do yeah i think it's, it's going to do two things. It's going to perform amazingly and also perform terribly. And it depends on the clientele because obviously if I'm in Soho and this is, I mean, this is a very like minimized target audience and just people that visit New York and go to Soho. If I'm a visitor within New York, I'm probably a tourist. Most more often than not, I'm going into American Eagle Outfitters, which I know is a brand to be a very like, wide scale brand. I don't know Kith. I don't know a flight club. I don't know any of these other boutique shops. All I know is American Eagle Outfitters. I'm going to go in there and I see, holy shit, that's that shoe I saw on Instagram. Or that's that shoe I saw Travis Scott wearing. I'm going to buy that shit. You know what I mean? Like That's how I feel as if I'm the sort of general audience for these stores and saying like, oh damn, like this is pretty awesome. Like I've never seen American Eagle's Eagle Outfitters look like this. They must be cutting edge. And and having a somewhat simplistic mindset and going into that store, I feel like that's how it's going to present itself. And that's why it's going to succeed. Obviously, I don't know, like a lot of these resale stores, you walk in there, people don't, well, I personally don't buy things in them. I don't know how inflated the prices are, knowing that it's in American Eagle Outfitters and seeing a wall of shoes that are rare as shit. They could be inflated more than if you went to like a StockX or like a, a stadium goods. They could be more. But going in, personally, no. But for the general consumer, maybe somebody that's visiting, somebody that just knows American Eagle Outfitters, it might perform better than my expectations. But that's just my opinion. And uh, who knows, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that another thing that you kind of touched on is that I don't think the clientele of American Eagle necessarily matches up with the clientele of urban necessities. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like though I, there's sort of a disconnect there and, and that's why I kind of think that, like you said, there's, there's kind of two parts to it. I think that they'll do really well because there are those people who, for lack of a better term, are sort of ignorant to yes. what the streetwear culture is, and they just see yeah. stuff on Instagram, see stuff on TV, and they're like, "Well, I saw this there, so it must be cool." I have that's to buy the Travis it. Scott shoe. Yeah, that's the that's the mindset. Exactly. That I feel like and then there's that there's that other portion well where they're they may not do so well because the people who know what American Eagle is and how it's completely unrelated to streetwear are like, well. It's not really like I don't. But really I guess the debate yeah. is, are people like us going in there? No, if not Jeff, at all. If Jeff Staple never had mentioned that this was going on, would we physically be going in there in that store to know that this is what's happening? No, not at no. all. And and I mean, and that's what I mean in terms of the clientele. It's like people that are that don't have the context of where these shoes come from, don't have the context of what sneaker culture is or streetwear is, will go in there and say oh, that's a nice shoe, I have money, I'm going to buy it, versus, oh, that's a nice shoe, I know where this comes from, I know how rare this thing is, I know that nobody else has this, I'm going to buy it. I mean, that's two different mindsets, but I still think it's a, it's two different type of consumers, and it'll play into how well this thing succeeds, but to be honest, 
I mean, like we both agree on, it's going to both fail as well as succeed. It's a very dichotomic, if that's even a word, understanding. (laughs) But um, I think that's how we both kind of see it. But let's get into this last topic, which is a very, very polarizing topic. And actually a very, very good discussion, as I sort of saw it in my head. It's a uh, touchy subject, if you will. Very touchy <laughs> subject. Man, no cancel pun the, intended. the episode is canceled. <laughs> Damn it. But let's talk about Virgil Abloh real quick. But it's not specifically about him. Let's not attach this situation just to him. Yeah. But Virgil Abloh had released his 2019 summer menswear collection through Louis Vuitton. That was completely inspired by that of Michael Jackson. Now, we all saw his runway show. I don't know if you guys saw it. I know I saw pictures of it. His runway show was completely modeled after the Billie Jean. We all know Billie Jean as being one of the top songs out of the Thriller album, I believe. Right? Fake fan. Is it not (laughs) from the Thriller album or is it? Yeah, I believe it is. But one of Michael Jackson's most prolific songs and with the entire set and also invitations matching the fucking white glove of Michael Jackson being the main focus of, of his entire summer 2019 menswear collection. What follows this is that HBO releases a documentary called Leaving Neverland. Now, if those that are listening and personally, I've never seen it, but I've heard a lot of crazy things about it. It's basically a documentary or a shit. I don't even know what to call it. Um, what do you call things that aren't documentaries, but basically like shut down people? Can- like, I'm going to call them canceled. I'm going to call them canceled docs because a lot of those have been put out <laughs> right. lately. But canceled doc of Michael Jackson, basically implying that uh, the two people who had sponsored the, the documentary that Michael Jackson has a history of sexually assaulting children. Now, following that, Virgil Abloh's was Louis Vuitton put out statements that reflect that of, you know, understanding that this isn't right, what Michael Jackson is, I'm not even going to say guilty of, because officially there is no fact that he's guilty of that, so I'm not going to put that on the record. But to be associated with that of, Um, sexually assaulting children or sexually abusing children, whatever you guys want to call it. And Louis Vuitton, in fact, canceled that entire collection. That was anything closely associated with Michael Jackson. We've dealt with cancel culture in numerous episodes. We've talked about it in every sort of way possible. I know that we have exhausted this topic, but this is the first instance of seeing cancel culture really affect that of the streetwear fashion industry and essentially cancel an entire collection that I know a lot of people were fucking in, in, like excited about. What are your guys' first impressions and understandings and or even feelings and emotions of of this particular event taking place? Uh, I think Don't it's, say the wrong thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we're... In the in 2019, with the whole Me Too movement and you know things of that nature, it's it's a very it's a very 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 fine line because of course there's you know you know there's the rule of law and we don't want to presume anyone guilty. Of course, of course. You know, 
you know, innocent until proven guilty. You know of what I'm course, saying? There's yeah, that. Yeah, There's yeah. that piece. Don't worry, to it. you're not walking on okay. any. Did I offend anybody? I didn't offend anybody. Very politically correct statement. It's good. And there's also that the other side of that where it's like, well, you know, like we don't necessarily want to invalidate these victims' claims. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's that it's that very fine line. Not at all. So I don't know. As as far as like Louis Vuitton canceling all pieces having any relation, with, yeah, yeah, having to do with Michael Jackson, I get it. I understand you want to, you know, have damage control kind of save your brand's image, but I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it. And, you know, I read a lot about Virgil's, you know, his statement regarding this whole Michael Jackson yeah. thing and saying that, you know, I, cho- I choose to focus on the good parts of Michael Jackson. The public aspect. Yeah, like his it. artistry, like him, you know, like his music, his career, what he did for the culture and not focusing more so on the negative aspects, yeah. like the allegations against him, you know, Blessing young boys at Neverland. There you go. There Very you go. politically yeah, correct you know to say that. <laughs> Let's put out the actual allegations of what he did. Yeah. Or what he is proposed to have done. But at the same time, I think that, I don't know, it's almost, it's, it's, it's hard because it's almost as if Virgil is turning his back on those people that are, you know, claiming that Michael Jackson did the X, Y, and Z to them. Because yeah. it's like, oh, well, we'll just kind of... It's almost like he's sweeping it under the rug, if you will. That's a good... We choose not to focus on it. Yeah. We'll just focus on the good side. How do you guys feel about it, Kirsten, Melanie? I feel like I agree with Nate, you know, just because, like, what he said about Virgil, like, sweeping it under the rug. But I do feel like um, there's a fine line between separating, like, an artist and their personal life, like, art versus artist. And I feel like in this situation and in this political climate, it was smart for Louis Vuitton to cancel it just because like all the allegations, I feel like if they continued with it, the backlash would have been more than them canceling it. And also like, just to speak upon like Virgil, like as a person, he has a family, he is a dad. So I feel like that part of him like kind of felt like he was like sensitive towards the subject, you know, like, he wanted to state that Louis Vuitton, like, they were very against, like, abusing children because he is a father figure in his life. And, yeah, like, it's just, it's really hard to kind of tiptoe on this subject because, like, when is it the right time to cancel versus, like, wh- like how much can we accept as a culture, I guess? Agreed. Agreed. Kirsten? I agree. I think nowadays it's even harder to separate the art from the artist just because cancel culture twitter everybody has an opinion um and it's clear that there was so much backlash on this collection um i don't know it's tough because you have michael jackson who's one of the most like iconic the king of pop the king of pop thriller yeah so (laughs) how exactly can you separate art from the artist and celebrate like what he's done in music you know i agree and I did a little research on this, so I'm going to get very philosophic, very <laughs> um, artsy here. But understanding the difference between art and artists dates all the way back to the fucking beyond end of time where they developed this concept of basically post-criticism. And it's artists basically, or not artists, but art critics specifically, 
looking or delving into the understanding that the art and the artist may or may not be its own separate entity. So the understanding here is that the art, if it's good art, is the is the, is the key word here. If it is good art, bad art is extremely disqualified. But good art lives on its own, separate from the artist, separate from anything that revolves around their life, separate from who they are, whatever that they've done that's attached to who they are. That's the sort of mindset of where this entire idea of splitting art and artists ever came from. But there's also this concept of understanding that art is its own entity. The artist is essentially dead when it comes to the art that is put out. So good art is considered to be that of timeless in that anybody from any time frame or or, or or country or place can listen to it and say that is good. So we have this confrontation all the time when it comes to that of like, you know, Kanye West, R. Kelly, right? R. Kelly is a very good example here because his art reflects that of who he is. So we have the right to immediately cancel a song that is called AJ Nothing But A Number because the fuck was he doing with fucking Aaliyah at fucking 14? You know what I mean? Like That's a prime example of being able to cancel something. Yeezy is a different story. And I know we've had conversations about this before, but being a little bit more educated now, I finally understand it. But Yeezy or Kanye West having his ideals about particular things, especially with his sort of polarizing comments about that of the far left, Right. right, right, sorry, right. Far, sorry, left, sorry, left, but the far right is saying that, you know, what he believes in isn't reflected on the Easy Boost 350. There is no Confederate flag on that. There is no make Easy Boost great again on the shoe. It is simply a shoe by itself, and the entity around it isn't a thing. Fun fact. Yeah. Kanye actually used a Confederate flag for his Yeezus merch. Yeezus merch. merch. Okay, well, we're going to separate okay. each product into their individual, okay. you know. Um, that's, that's an entirely, that's <laughs> but an that, entirely but, different But well, that's a good point. Yeah. Because if you buy that merch knowing that his ideal is, I believe, in this ideal, ranging from the far right, right? <laughs> then you have a choice whether or not to buy that merch. But if you're buying that shoe and there's no indication of Kanye West as that racy person being implied on the shoe, you have a choice of buying that shoe. Okay, well, let me let me leave you with this. Go. Okay. This might seem out of context, but I feel like this this sort of concept can be applied to any job that you have. Okay. So of course. Let's say, yes. Okay. Okay. Let's say, let's say you're let's say you're the president, the current okay. president of the United okay. States. Do you separate the person from the job? Because if you think about it, an art being an artist is, for lack of a better term, it's it's a job, it's a career. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it, right? I don't know. So is that okay, is that go, different? Go, is go. that different from let's say like Donald Trump being the president? No, is it is? I, I how does it differ though? I I it differs because it it being the presidency doesn't live on its own. It has to be. It has. The presidency is designed to be a person as its figurehead. A shoe is a shoe. You know what I mean? Like, art is supposed to... I, said, I mean, I'm not... I don't believe in this new criticism thing, but this new criti- criticism mindset is essentially saying 
that the art is a, its own separate entity. So if it's a song, imagine if the artist never existed as the song and it's just a song and you listen to it. I love the way it sounds. I don't know who's singing this or what their history is. This song is amazing and that is what it is. P painting, whatever, I don't know who the fuck painted this, but it looks amazing and I love how it looks in my fucking um, my office or whatever. But a presidency is is guided by an individual. It's it is an individual, so it's almost it's it's almost. But it's uh, it's an art. Uh, yeah, it's. I'm not saying it's an art form, but I'm saying that like if you think about it, the decisions that you know, I'm just choosing one example, for, like the president. Yeah, for instance, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the decisions that one person makes can have lasting effects on that of others, whether it's for good or bad. And I, the same okay, said I, about okay, art. Okay, I'm on the side of you saying that the president is, is, is a piece of it's shit. Ass, yeah. But I, <laughs> I I know I know where you're coming from and yeah. saying that like this person is making decisions and this is a larger conversation. But keeping it sort of into the realm of just like art as it being as its own entity. It's hard to to sort of look at a decision or a policy as it's being its own particular thing because there are other entities that are involved but looking coming back to that of a song or uh, a movie or or shit let's get into movies fucking uh hey, i don't know if you guys ahead. ever heard this but fucking johnny depp was supposedly accused for some random shit right abusing domestic his violence. domestic violence right in the conversation in the article that i read essentially if you ever watch edward scissorhands there's scenes in there where he is physically abusive to the girlfriend that he's with. So do you say, damn, he's always been like that, right? Like, that's always been Johnny Depp. Even in the movies, that's always been him. But obviously the implication of him being who he is isn't, isn't the movie. You isn't know what tied I mean? to the, the movie. Role. The movie is the director it's the producer it's the costume designer it's not just johnny depp that makes this movie what it is so do i not watch this movie anymore because this motherfucker decided to do some weird shit so i think that kind of applies to that of any sort of art like the shoe is not kanye west obviously it's called a yeezy boost but if it was named the ultra 5000 i probably would still fuck with it <laughs> You know what I mean? No, but I agree. I, I agree. think it comes down to, like, I, I think I made this comment when you were gone, but, like, R. Kelly, right? Yeah. Like, his song is called AJ Nothing But a Number. I was here for that. That is a pure fucking implication of the weird shit that he did. And yeah. I have a choice not to fuck with that. But obviously with, like, a Kanye West shoe or, I don't know, who else did? Gosha. Yeah. <laughs> right? Gosha's articles of clothing doesn't say I text young children on my when I have breaks type <laughs> shit you know what I mean because he was implied of doing that stuff I think we have to there is a separation of art and artists but I think we have to be very particular on how we how how and when yes how and when and we have to be critics of like like minute details of is this an implication of exactly what this person has done and is this person even basically gloating within what the art that they're doing about what they've done. So I think we have to put like real, uh, 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 a microscopic level of understanding that type of shit because cancel culture is crazy. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that people haven't been canceled for the right reasons. That's fine. Like people could be canceled for doing weird shit. I'm not going to disregard anybody's, um, 
uh, comments on that. But when it comes to what we like, I feel like we have to be critics of our own shit. And we have to have reasons of why we believe in certain shit. And I think, I mean, it's kind of like a very level playing field. But I don't know. How do you guys feel about, like, when you guys adapt, like, adopt things that are polarizing, do you have to argue for that? Listening to Michael Jackson, wearing Gosha, um, shit, like, it could come down to who produces your Nike shoes. You know, that's a polarizing topic. How do you... Um, like, are you justify? Yeah, that. like, are you guys still thinking about these things? Like, does this whole Leaving Neverland documentary make you not want to listen to anything related to yeah. Michael Jackson? Like, are yeah. you is that are you on board with that, or is it just kind of like, uh, what's the mindset that yeah. you have when you hear like this person who, to be honest, like if we're going literally by the books, was never actually accused or actually convicted, pled guilty, yeah, convicted of the crimes that he's basically being accused of so what do you do that's the question what do you do i think it's hard just because if you want to compare michael jackson versus r kelly michael jackson's dead r kelly's still alive and well speaking on his part so i think it's hard like when the artist himself is dead just because they can't vouch for themselves or they can't like try and prove themselves guilty because like no one or not knows. guilty. Yeah, like yeah, no yeah, one yeah. knows their side of the story. So when it comes to like situations like that, I feel like it's a little okay to still, you know, bump Michael Jackson. I'm not okay. like I'm not dissing it, you know? Okay. Like we weren't there. But you know, for R. Kelly, okay. like I it's okay. different. You know, he's alive. He's alive and he's like saying all these things. There's still allegations out there. And I feel like for him, like, once the dust settles, like, then people can make their final verdict. But because he is alive, it's easier to diss him than not because, like, there's just so much against I him. I think the alive and dead thing kind of makes sense. But also it's like like this understanding that the art lives by itself. Yeah. So if you were to take Thriller as just being a song, amazing. If you were to take... I don't know why. This is the third time I fucking mentioned the song AJ Nothing But a Number. That's fucked up. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Alive or dead, that's still fucked up. I'm not listening to that song. I'm not supporting that song. I'm never playing that song. But yeah, I mean, like, I can understand, like, Alive or Dead, I'm listening to Thriller and listening to Billie Jean. Like, these are all completely transparent songs of who he is as an artist. So it's up to my discretion on whether or not I want to, you know, play that in a public setting. <laughs> Kirsten, what do you think? I think it just makes me personally more careful and aware of what exactly I'm listening to, what exactly I'm associating myself with. Um, I think the alive and dead thing is very interesting. Um, are the people who had allegations against Michael Jackson still alive? They're they alive. Are, yeah. But let me provide this little asterisk right here. Um, that'll make a lot of sense to those that are listening as well as ourselves too. So the two people that had started this documentary were actually people that had testified for Michael Jackson in the past being younger children and saying that he had never done anything. So I'm going to just put that out there. He was, they were all, they all testified under oath that they said that Michael Jackson never did anything, but decided to release a HBO documentary years later. So I'm going to just say that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that changes yeah. everything. Um, it's definitely hard to compare because you have like a whole, like, numerous amounts of women like testifying against R. Kelly 
Um, yeah, personally, it just makes me more careful and it makes me want to do like more research on what exactly happened. I think that's important, though. Mm -hmm. That's important. I think that's the least that we can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to the extent of like going up to someone and saying like, yo, you shouldn't listen to that because of this, this and this. That's never anybody's place to say that. You know what I mean? The least we can do is worry about ourselves and like what we represent. And so let's tie this back to streetwear because there have been things that have been documented by various streetwear companies. And we talk about the heyday of the golden era of streetwear where, I mean, I used to have a shirt of Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton, like a clip from her sex tape just on her, on my t-shirt. Is that like weird or like other brands have released very racy shit on their stuff. Michael Jackson collaboration t-shirts were released by Supreme, if not less than a year and a half ago. And people and everybody knew of the allegations, but obviously it takes a documentary to highlight that. So how do we act in the way, in the form of what we as consumers buy in the world of streetwear? And does that affect what brands we fuck with? Uh, I, you know, we talk about this all the time. We talked about cancel culture in several episodes, yeah. like a recent one and also one that, you know, we recorded way back, but I don't know. Like we talked about before, I think that, you know, our, the way that we live now just moves a thousand times faster than we did before. And yeah, like this R Kelly thing, when that documentary came out, what's it called? Uh, leaving Neverland. No, no, the R Kelly one. Oh, uh, Finding our I, I don't something, something, yeah, yeah, but anyways, like that was <laughs> like R. Kelly. that was like a big buzz for like a month, and then after that, you just you know, you kind of stop talking about it, yeah. Um, I think that at least in the immediate period after that, obviously, no one's fucking with R. Kelly right now, not at all, yeah. Um, but I don't know, it's just it's it's weird to think about because there's some things that stay with us longer than others. Like the Michael Jackson thing, I think like Mel said, because he passed away, we were kind of quick to forget that. And we focused on his artistry, like him as a musician. You and can't tell me like, that every time the name Michael Jackson was brought up, you didn't ever think twice about him in like, no, for best. sure. Yeah. For I mean, sure. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of stuck. It's, with it's, it's, that, it's yeah. that, like we always talk about, it's that, it's that fine line. It's yeah. like, do we forget about it? Do we kind of just let it live in the past because yes. Michael Jackson's dead? Yes. Or do we just continue like <laughs> post death saying like, Oh, if we don't fuck with Michael Jackson, you know, regardless of yeah. his accomplishments as a musician, as this, as that, whereas R Kelly, it's like, okay, he's alive. There's like 40 people that are not fucking with him or like allegedly or Accusing him of allegedly sexually yeah. assaulting him, and to be honest, I believe them. But <laughs> I mean, I'm there with you. <laughs> you know, but like it, it, it's this weird sort of. What do we remember? What do we forget? What do we hold on to? What do we just let die? And within yeah. the world of streetwear, it's so particular. Yeah, you know what I mean because you wear a t-shirt with with Michael Jackson at this point in time. Shit. If you if okay, I'm I'm a, a person that's always on Instagram, and I follow a lot of thrift stores. And you know how they have like those rap tees yep. where it's like yeah. double sided print of like old school hip hop artists. Anytime I see a R. Kelly t-shirt, it's going for dumbass cheap. And also the comments are like, yeah, I don't think it's a good time to be selling that shirt or I don't yeah. think anybody should be buying that shirt. So I think that people within our industry or people within the culture of streetwear, we're very adept to knowing what's right and wrong, right? Because streetwear in general was the foundation is based around being edgy. 
so we know what is you know right and also what is something that we should be attaching ourselves to so especially now when we see polarizing shit like you know off-white and not off-white sorry uh louis vuitton and uh and michael jackson we know for a fact well not only that we can't afford that shit but not that we're not gonna wear that um but at the end of the day like i say it's definitely personal preference and i mean if you have a different you know understanding of of separating art and artists and you don't believe in in doing that and you think that the art is the art or the the artist is the art and vice versa then to all you listeners that's completely up to you we're not saying you're wrong for doing that um but if you are r kelly sure you will get stomped out if we see you <laughs> <laughs> but like uh any last words on on just that particular topic how do you guys feel um what sort of advice or what sort of um sort of uh, last words could you give to those that are listening that do follow some of these brands that do follow, you know, some of their favorite artists, but are questionable about whether or not to wear them, to support them, to put them on that pedestal. What do you guys think? I would just say to be careful and be self-aware, you know, again, like buy what you want, wear what you want, but know what you're supporting. That's all or potentially supporting, potentially supporting. Yeah. yeah. And we're not going to know, the in-depth secrets of people's private lives, but whatever is public should be understood and digested. And I think that's the least that we can do. Um, but yeah, any, any, anything else you guys got uh, uh, surrounding that, this, this topic? I know it's a very polarizing one, but what do you think? It's very subjective. Yeah, um, I agree. Especially because it involves art, but just as we were all reiterating, I think the least that you can do is educate yourself. Yes. And that's something that, you know, we always advocate on this podcast is information. Um, There's a shit ton of it out there. I mean, shit, this episode was curated around information that we found on Google. (laughs) Um, But yeah, inform yourself, educate yourself. There's nothing wrong with doing that and knowing that the brands that you support are brands that you should actually be supporting. And not to say that we don't support brands that may be doing weird shit. I mean, I don't know what the fuck some of my favorite brands are doing. But for, from whatever's public, I know whether or not to support them. And that's yeah. the bottom line, the least that we can do. And on that note, I want to thank everyone for being on today's podcast. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Kirsten, for joining us on today's episode. I don't have to say thank you, Nate, because we're on this shit yeah, all this the fucking time. Week, so <laughs> it's expected, I think. But thank you guys for listening, man. Um, we try to get as in-depth with these topics as possible and provide an insight that a lot of these media companies aren't covering. The hype beats the highest in the body don't have the ability to cover these topics in depth. Yeah, you want to read a two-page article on this particular subject, but to have multiple opinions and different perspectives is something that is not going to be Um, something that you come across at all. So thank you guys for listening to us and we will see you next week. Be sure to follow us at No Chance Radio on all platforms and we will see you on the next one. Peace.